morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Um, good to have those of us who are here this morning, by the grace of God. Uh, I know for me it's a, a blessing to be here and to <clears throat> go over these things in which the Lord has been opening up and showing. And um, I thank him for he's showing. He's really bringing these things home. Um, and he's making it a real living reality, um, um, at least for me in studying. I pray that he's doing the same for all of us as we study because the midnight cry is where, is where all that we've been learning becomes a real living reality. And that's why it begins right there for the church at that point because that's where the inspiration, the life that, that, that God really wants to give to us really begins to, to take root in the heart of those that, that, that follow the light to this point. And, and by his mercies, we're, we're here because, because of his goodness, nothing we did. Um, all we did was simply make a choice to be here. That's, 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 all, that's, that's what we did. And everything else, because you made the choice, the Lord, gave, the Lord supplied the power to help us to get to this point. So uh, I, thank him, I thank him for that, and I pray that as we go through this note, that you know, one thing that he's been showing me is that there's no such thing as a dead Christian. Amen? Everyone who becomes a Christian is a living Christian. From the moment you get baptized, you're a living Christian. And, and if, we, if, if our worship is dead, that means we have the spirit of error. And if our worship is living, that means we have the spirit of truth. Because the Holy Spirit is a living spirit. So whenever we come to the seventh-day Sabbath, we should be a living, breathing, speaking people. Amen? Amen? Every time we come to the Sabbath. And if we're not a living, breathing, speaking people, then, then we're worshiping in the sanctuary of the dead. And we don't want to be found doing that. Is everyone following? God is a living God. And anything that touches God and anything God touches becomes living. And the moment we touch his Bible, we should be a living, breathing, speaking people. Because it's a living book. And God doesn't have dead saints. He has living saints. That's what he has. Amen? And so whenever we come to worship, we should be lively, attentive, and awake. And by being lively and attentive and awake, we invite the living God in heaven to come and worship with us. But if we're not a lively, living, attentive, and awake, then we're encouraging and inviting the spirit of Satan and all, and all his evil hosts to come and make this a dead place of worship. Do we want that? Do we want that? Yeah. Yahweh's just dead a minute ago. Do we want that? Yeah. No, we should be living. We don't want that. So it's up to us if we want our worship to be living. Amen? God has left it up to us to make our worship experience a living experience. That's that the ball is now in our court on how we approach the, the living God in whom we say we serve. Amen? Amen? So with that being said, let us open up with a silent word of prayer to begin this portion.
Amen. We have on the notes, you know, um, for the past few weeks, my brothers have been going over, you know, since we've been in Jamaica, they've been going over Daniel 9. And um, Swinnon and I came back with the intention of continuing on with Daniel 9. But, you know, every time that I decided I wanted to go teach that, you know, the Lord impressed me to, 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 teach, to teach people to wake up. You know, and I know he's been impressing me to do it I, I, because I, I, by his mercy, I can prove it from the Bible. And, you know, in the spirit of prophecy, and as I'm going through it, you know, the Lord's just been impressing, you know, teach people to wake up. And, and this morning as I was sitting there and, and I'm, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, Lord, you know, teach people to wake up. I've been going over that, but I know we've been looking into Daniel 9, Daniel 8 in the sanctuary. And, and, you know, and then the Lord says, this is why I want you to teach people to wake up. First Corinthians, you know, it's really nice to have conversation with God. And, and, I, and the midnight cry is the place where we begin to realize that we're supposed to be entering into a conversation with God. Is everyone following? This is the place where we should realize that we're entering into a conversation with God. At the midnight cry, when you go to the triumphal entry, what came up on the people? Conversation with God. When you go to the, to the animals getting on the ark, what came up on the people? conversation with God. God was speaking to the people. He was speaking clearly to their minds, get on this ark. He was speaking clearly to the Jews, accept the Messiah. When you go to the midnight cry, he was speaking clearly to the people, accept this message. He was entering into a conversation with people, whether they wanted to hear him or not, he was going to enter into a conversation with them. Praise God, some people wanted to hear him, and some people chose to continue to sleep. Y'all are following? So the Lord says, teach people to wake up. You know why he says teach people to wake up? Here's why. In 1 Corinthians it says awake to righteousness and what? Sin not. The first angel's message is designed to wake people up. The second angel's message is designed to give people what? Righteousness. No, not the life. It's connect, but it's righteous. Why? Why? Because the third angel's message gives you the life, which is the sanctuary. If you're not awake and have on the robe of Christ's righteousness, you can't receive the light on the sanctuary. The light on the sanctuary is the very life of God because the Bible says the sanctuary is his dwelling place. That's where the greatest revelation of his presence is. But if we're not awake and we don't have on the righteousness, no sanctuary. No sanctuary because that's what happened on October 22nd, 1844, is it not? That's what happened. The Lord breathed on them. What did he give? What was in that breath? The law of God, the Sabbath, and the sanctuary. That's what was in that breath. So the sanctuary is the very presence and life and existence of God. But we have to be awake and we have to have on righteousness. They didn't get the sanctuary until they woke up and put on Christ's righteousness. It says at the end, it shall what? Breathe. That's what it says. At the end, the sanctuary will be breathed upon those who's, who's awakened and have on the righteousness of Christ. And you can easily walk through the Bible and prove this very existence. Egypt, from the first time Moses went into Egypt, they were, in, they were encountering the experience of the first angel's message. What's Egypt a symbol of? The world. The world. What did Moses do? He, he took them out of the world. So they, Moses gave them the, three, the, the two signs and then the ten plagues. That was all the experience of the first angel's message. And when they came out of Egypt, who did they interact with now? How? The cloud. They met the cloud in the wilderness. Moses took them from Egypt, and they came out from under the government of Pharaoh, and now they come under the government of Christ in the cloud. 
And then he gave them, like Swindon said, he gave them the righteousness, the manna. He rained righteousness upon them. And then he gave them water to drink. Was it natural water? What kind of water was it? Miracle water. He gave them, yes, it was spiritual, but he gave them, the water came out of a rock. Who's heard such a thing? He gave them the work of heaven. Why? He was trying to get them to put on the righteousness of Christ. And then they came where? Mount Sinai. What did he give them? The sanctuary, the law, and the Sabbath. That, so there it is. He woke them up in Egypt. He clothed them with his righteousness. And then he gave them the law, the Sabbath, and the sanctuary. He's not changing today. He's doing it the same way. Is everyone following? He's doing the same thing today. And right now, before we get to the civil Sunday law, we have to be in the sanctuary. Amen. We have to be there. It's, it's, it, if we're not in the sanctuary by the time we get to the civil Sunday law, no light from God. We're Seventh-day Adventists. We already have the light on the sanctuary. The Lord is only trying to what? Resurrect that dead spirit. Amen. Well, how, how does he do it? The first, awake. Second, righteousness. Sanctuary. So by the grace of God, when we came to the fifth day, the fourth month, what opened? The heavens opened. So where is he trying to take us? The sanctuary. And he's trying to take us there so that we can recognize the movement from the, whole, from, the, from the judgment of the dead to the what? Judgment of the living. We can't recognize the judgment of the living if we're not in the sanctuary. We, we, I mean, it's just common sense, right? He's doing the work of the dead, so he has to have a people that understand that to prepare them to go to the next phase of the work. So and in order to understand that, we'd have to be in the sanctuary. So then the, the thought comes to mind. I was like, you know, the Lord started showing, this is life or death. To understand this is life or death. And I just want to say the message that the Lord has been giving us as living waters is a life or death message. And we're making our decisions based upon how we hear this message right now. Right now. We're making our decisions right now. And, and if we understand that, we, we will awake. And we will wake up. That how we treat this message and how we treat the messenger who's given the message is vital. It's very vital. And the Lord impressed, and we can't preach a life or death message if we don't see ourselves as life or death. I can't give you that conviction if I don't first have that conviction. Go ahead. First Corinthians fifteen twenty four. First Corinthians fifteen twenty four. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I do believe it's First Corinthians fifteen twenty four. Somebody else might want that text, so let me let me pull it up. Yes, 1 Corinthians 15, 24. 1 Corinthians 15. Huh? Say it again. What comes at the end? No. Awake to righteousness and sin not. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Amen. Yes. Amen. She fell asleep. Yeah, she fell asleep. Amen. While men slept, what does he do? 
while she was asleep, what did Satan do? He sold tear. Why? She, he could only do that if she was sleeping. Yeah. So if, we still, if we're still asleep while this message is going, what is Satan going to do? And that's why I say we need to be awake. Yes, it's scary. Amen. And still be asleep. Right. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Yes. And Amen. But we're going to actually touch on some of that this morning, and, and by the grace of God, a little bit of it. But I just want us to see that this is life or death. It's, it's, it, it's, it's of serious nature. You know, as the Lord is bringing it home, before this point, before we arrived at this point, you know, like a child, when the Lord showed us something, we, we wanted to go show it to everyone else. Did we not? When a little child gets a toy from his parents, what does that child want to do? Want to show it to all their, all their friends. And the child who didn't get the toy wants to go see the new toy that his friend got. Yeah. That's who we were when we first came into this message. We were like children. We wanted to show people, look at what the Lord showed. Is, was that not our experience? Mm -hmm. Look at what the Lord showed me. And then we also wanted to hear what Jeff and people showed us what they had. Mm -hmm. But now we reach a point where the Lord said, I want you to be a man. It's not about showing people this good, goodness. It's not just about that. And it's not about just going to go hear what somebody has to present. You need to have on a righteousness. You need to have this. You need to have this or you're going to die. If you don't have, as a child, a child doesn't need to understand that right now. A child just needs to be pampered and taken care of and, 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 and held up. But Aaron is not thinking about dying or anything. That's, that's, that, that's not them. A child doesn't even know how to drive a No, that's, that's not them. Amen. And what is, what is the counsel? Make the child as happy as you can. So when we first become Christian, God makes us as happy as he can. That's why we see things happen when we pray, even though we don't really understand the Bible. He's trying to make us as happy as he can. But when we become a man, we put away what? Childish things. We put away childish things when we realize this is life or death. This is serious. I can lose my salvation from this point forward based upon how I behave and how so what is prophecy in the simplest term what is prophecy history in advance what is history in advance what is the purpose of history in advance what is, what why did why is God giving us history in advance it's evidence it's to prepare us it's to counsel us the Lord says yeah. You might, that's what she was going to say? That you might believe all of those are all right answers. But the ultimate reason for prophecy, let's read it. There's a real ultimate reason for all of those are right answers. All of those is what prophecy should produce. But the real purpose of prophecy, let's read it. Um, Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are what? Revealed belong unto us that we might... Um, belong unto us to our children forever that we may what? What's the purpose of prophecy? That we may do. That's it. That we may do. Do what? Do what? Let's find out. That we may do all the words of this law. That's the purpose of prophecy. To make us do the word of God's law. Is everyone following? Alright, let's read this, this next one. When the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood, believers will have an entirely different religious experience. 
they will be given such glimpses of the open gates of heaven that their heart and mind will be impressed with the character that all must what? What's the purpose of Daniel Revelation? Character development. That's it. The seeing history in advance is for character development. Why? Why is that? Why is that necessary? Let's find out. She tells you that all must develop in order to realize the blessedness which is to be the reward of the pure in heart. What's the reward of the pure in heart? Christ tells us. What's his reward? Huh? What is the reward? Yes, yes, it is eternal life. Yes, Christ is in you the hope of glory. Is, is eternal life. It's heaven, but it's something, if, if this is not there, there is no heaven. Remember that. Heaven is heaven because of who? So then what's the reward? Christ says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's the reward. Seeing God, how? Face to face. That's the reward. We get to see God face to face. Daniel and Revelation is designed by God to prepare a character, so a, a develop a character so that we can see God face to face. So we can have God revealed to us face to face, individually, for everyone. Because to see God is life or death. When you see him, you will either receive him with, by getting life or you'll receive him by getting death. So from the very onset, it's life or death. Everyone will see God. Everybody. Everybody. Some will see him and instantly die. Some will see him and instantly live. And what prepares both for, what prepares both for, that, for such a scene? Daniel Revelation. One hears Daniel Revelation and develops a character. And one hears Daniel Revelation and develops a character. One for damnation, one for eternal glory. But at the end of the day, all develop a character. One will awake, one will sleep. One will realize it's life or death, and one will laugh and, and mock at this life or death message. And how do they mock? by not paying attention to what the messengers are teaching them. That's how they mock. Is everyone following? We don't want that spirit. That spirit is amongst us and we have to confess it. Is everyone following? We have to confess it. How do we confess it? By putting away the evil from among our doing. Putting it away. That's how we confess it. Go to God and put that stuff away. That's what we're supposed to do. That's why the Lord says, teach people to awake, because it's life or death, how we treat the message from this point forward. It's life or death, because we're going to see God at the Civil Sunday Law. He's going to reveal himself to people at the Civil Sunday Law in measure, and it's going to keep going, and it's going to keep going until we actually finally see him in the clouds of heaven. And Daniel and Revelation is the two books that develops the world, whether righteous or wicked, for that experience. Amen? That's what these two books are going to do. Wheat and tares is in the church. And the Bible says, let both grow together. What causes them to grow? Daniel and Revelation. Daniel and Revelation causes the wheat and the tares to grow. One will awake to life and one will awake to shame and everlasting contempt. 
because of how they treated the message and the messenger who brought the message. Because of that, let us continue with this next, um, this next, let's go back to Genesis, life or death. We want to see that from the whole Bible is riddled with life or death. The whole Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, all the way down to the end of the world. Genesis chapter, this is what Michelle was talking about. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that, every tree that is pleasant to the, to the sight and good for food. The tree of what? Also in the midst of the garden and in the, the tree of knowledge of good and what? Evil. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, 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 of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely what? Life or death. Even in perfection, life or death. Eternal life was based upon how they treated the message and the messenger, who was God, who was Christ. Adam and Eve's life depended upon how they treated God and his message. But I don't want to submit it. He says, in the garden is a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil and trees that are good for food. So from the very beginning, the Bible is introducing wheat and tares. From the very beginning, on the, on the test of probation, there's wheat and tears. There's those that eat from the tree of life, and there are those that are going to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. The fall of Adam and Eve is just designed to teach us this lesson from the very beginning. Yes, it is a plan of salvation. Amen. Amen. He knew they were going to fall, and he had the ground prepared. But I, I just want to see life or death. Eve, why was this? Because Adam and Eve was on probation. Eternal life was based upon how they treated the message and the messenger on the period of probation. They were on probation. What happened to the first probation? How did they treat it? They broke God's commandment. The Bible says, and God commanded them. So what did they break? His commandment. So the whole test is about the commandment. And so what was the result? They died. That day, they died. What was their death? What's the death they faced? What, what, how, what is death, though? What is it, according to the Bible? No more communication from God. To God, you're dead. He can't talk to you anymore. But what did Jesus do? Jesus purchased man's death. Jesus went to the Father and said, Father, give me his death. I will pay for it. And what did Christ do by doing that? He purchased for man a second probation. That's what he did. Now Jesus comes, and he comes to give man life. There's so many things taught in the garden. Well, what did Jesus come back to do? To change the provisions? No, it's still life or death. But now it's harder. Now instead of in perfection, when you, the test was easier, now it's more difficult. Now you got to what? You got to hew it, because God had already cut out the two tables, Adam and Eve. He already done that work. But just like Moses, they broke it because of transgression. But Christ says, now you cut it out, and I will write again. Now you do the work that I did, and I will write again. There's a lot of lessons. All I want to point out is life or death. It's life or death from the very beginning. Life or death message. Amen? It's a life or death message. Let Amen. 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 And they're going to do it because Jesus did it. Jesus did it for us. 
But let's continue. Life, there's a lot that I want to say in there, but let us see the second probation where Christ comes and he gives them the message. But here's the, here's, the, here's the interesting thing. Eve, she talked to the serpent. Serpent talked back. Did God make a talking serpent? Why didn't Eve run? Why didn't she run? She never seen a talking serpent. But here's, here's the weird thing. They fall, but who did they run from? So they didn't run. So we don't naturally run from Satan. We naturally run from God. Is everyone following? She didn't run from the serpent, but they ran from God. So because they didn't run from the serpent, what is now God forced to become? A serpent. Because we don't so we can run to him. Is everyone following? That's what he Christ now had to become a serpent. He had to become, take on sinful flesh so that man will come to him and not run from him if he was to come in all his glory. If he came as a beautiful man, and the people would run from him. How would they run from him? I could never attain to what that man is. So he came as one of us and sinful. It's all right here in the beginning. What Christ was going to be, it's all right here. And let us add to that some more. Let us go on. It's life or death, how we treat the message and the messenger. It's life or death. Let us continue. Genesis. So Christ comes and he gives them the conditions of the second probation. And here he says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and, and above, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Who's this about? Who's this about? Which is about who? Right. But it's also about Christ. It's also about Christ. How is it about Christ? Because Christ became a what? And, what, and where did Christ go? On his belly. And what is, gonna, what is Christ going to eat all the days of his life? Humanity. He's going to be a human all the days of his existence. Dust out and dust shall... Isn't that what Christ became? He became a man forever. Amen. Christ took on the... He took on the curse. The Bible says you're cursed above all cattle. What did Christ take on? The curse above all cattle. Is everyone following? The whole Bible is a revelation of Christ. This is, this is not strange to us. It's not strange to us. This is no different than Christ. It's the scapegoat which the type represents. This is the same thing. This is the scapegoat. This is the same thing. Is everyone following? It's life or death how we treat this message. I'm not ashamed of preaching this anymore. And that's what the Lord told me, is teaching me and helping us to understand. We're not to be ashamed of this anymore. Whether they hear or forbear. Because God is going to confirm this teaching at the Civil Sunday Law. He's going to confirm it. I'm not ashamed of that. I believe what our Heavenly Father is going to do. And because I believe it, I must live like I do. If I live like I believe it, then God will give me life to support my lifestyle. Amen? So I'm not ashamed. If people don't want to hear this, it doesn't bother me. Because Christ says whether they hear or forbear, but preach this message because it's life or death. If we don't understand the subject of the scapegoat, well, why is that important? Because the judgment of the living has a whole lot to do with the subject of the scapegoat. A whole lot to do. And if we don't understand it correctly, we don't want to be a scapegoat. 
but we're going to be a scapegoat. But we could be the good one on the good side, or we could be the bad one on the bad side. Is everyone following? There's good and there's evil always until sin is destroyed, when everything is all good. You can develop that. I'll leave that to you. I only could touch on what the Lord showed for right now. I'll leave that to you to develop. Is everyone following? You ask a question, ask the Lord to add the rest for you, because I know it's talking about Christ. I can tell you one thing, his humanity was bruised. What is your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Okay. Let us continue. Genesis 3, and, um, verse 15 and 16. We got to be ready for these questions. We, when, when we have to be ready for these things. But Genesis 3, and let's continue. It says, um, 16, onto the, no, yes, onto the woman, onto the woman, um, he said, I will greatly multiply thy what? Sorrow. Who's this about? Christ. Didn't, yes, is the church, what is Christ? Wasn't Christ's sorrow greatly multiplied? Sorrow, yeah. yeah, and acquainted with grief. And, and what, is, what was Christ's sorrow for? for to bring forth children. What is Eve's sorrow for? Yeah. To bring forth children. So Christ had to suffer to bring forth children. Is everyone following? Mm -hmm. And then what did it say? Let's continue, it says, this is all about Christ. It's about man, it's about Satan, man, Christ. It, it's all in here. It's about all of them. These are all the players that, are, that, that the sanctuary and the judgment is all about. These are all the players. They're all right here in Genesis. Is everyone following? And it's life or death. Let us continue. It says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy who? Husband. Who's the husband? God. Amen. Christ's desire was to his father, was to God, was it not? Amen. Go on. And it says, this is not what I desired ultimately to show. I just want us to bring in life with that. And he says, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he says, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Just jump down to, to the next one. Verse 18. Um, thorns and thorns and thistles shall it bring, shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Wasn't that what Christ ate? Yep. <clears throat> what was the herb that Christ ate? It was, uh, it's in Exodus. Yeah, the, herbs. the bitter herbs. Yeah, the, herb, yeah, the, the bitter herbs. experience. Yeah. And what did they put up on his head? The thorns and thistles. He was fulfilling the serpent's portion. He was fulfilling the woman's portion. He was fulfilling Adam's portion. That's what Christ was doing. In order to remove sin from this earth, and destroy it, Christ had to fulfill all three of those. He had to do that so that he would have the right to destroy Satan, to destroy the work of, of the sinful flesh, and to destroy the work of the sinful church. Is everyone following? He, he had to do that in order to be given the power to destroy those influences that destroy this man and earth. Go ahead. Summary for every curse that follows. 
Yes, amen. Amen. Christ, when he took on those three things, he took on everything for all time. Amen. In order that he might save all. Amen. In order that he might save all. In order to save the creature, he had to become a serpent. Amen. He had to take on, I mean, this is what the Bible's teaching us. In order to save this planet, Christ had to become this planet. In order to save this planet, he had to take the curse from the beast, from woman, from man, and from this earth. He took it all upon himself that he might have the power to recreate, make all things new. Amen. That's what he did. It's life or death, how we treat this message and the messenger. We have to understand these things because this we all have to bring into the judgment. Is everyone following? Yeah. All of this has to do with the judgment. It's all with the third angel's message. Let's go down to the next one. Continue with Adam. Um, and he says, finishing with Adam, he says, But, the, but the, by the sweat, in the sweat of thy brow shalt thou eat what? Bread. Bread. By the, in the sweat of thy face. What, did, what happened to Christ's face? When it went over this sometime. He was sweating in his face, right? In Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Christ was eating bread as he was in Gethsemane. What is the bread? What was, and what did Christ say? Father, if it be possible, let what? There was something he was receiving that he had to eat that Adam and Eve themselves should have ate. But Christ says he'll eat it. What did he eat? The judgments of God. What was he seeing? The death that was to come upon all men. What's the death? Complete, utter separation from God. Christ had to taste complete, utter separation from God. How do we taste it? We only taste it in seeing what he experienced. Man has to see what Christ experienced, and the best, the best way to teach people is to actually give them the experience. Is everyone following? Amen. So we're all going to taste it. Everyone that's saved has to taste this in measure according to their faith. Everyone who's saved tasted the same thing Christ tasted. Amen. Everyone has to drink it, but some are going to drink it more than others. The 144,000 will drink it more than everybody else because they follow the Lamb. How? Whithersoever he goeth. Everyone has to follow the Lamb. Jesus says, follow me. Everyone has to taste the cross, the life, death experience. Everybody. But some, if they're faithful, get to go the whole distance like how Christ did. And Ellen White says, strive to be in that number. Strive to be in the number of the sufferers because their reward is great. But we shouldn't be doing it for the reward. Why should we be doing it? Because we want to glorify God and all the glory that we can give Him in this life. That's why we should be wanting to do it because we want to glorify. Because the first angel's message said, Fear God and do what? So the desire of the 144,000 is to do what? Give God glory. How? By following the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. Desire that. Desire the character of God. Desire that. The character comes with the power. You want the character? You always have the power. But you're going to get the power too if you don't have the character, but it's, it will be to your destruction. Because the Bible says, let both grow together when? Until the harvest. Let both get the power until the harvest. He lets the power falls on the, the just and the unjust. So both will get power. But both won't use the power correctly. One will use it to the glory of the flesh. One will use it to the glory of God. 
But at the close of probation, the reign and the unjust, it doesn't stop. It just changes from life to death. Life to one class, seven last plagues. Death to one class, seven last plagues. They both get destroyed. One's destruction to life, one destruction to death. Is everyone following? Both must die. One is going to literally die, burn up, and one is going to spiritually die, burn up, but survive to see Christ coming. Is everyone following? The three Hebrew boys, easiest story to prove that. The men that threw them in, what happened? They died. They were burnt up. But did they die? No. What was consumed? The things that bound them. The flesh was consumed, but they survived. It's life or death how we treat the message and the messenger. All throughout the Bible is life or death. Life or death. Life or death. Life or death. So we come to the midway where we are and the Lord is pressing upon us. Life or death. Go ahead. Um, two things. One, um, since you were talking about Christ eating bread in Gethsemane, then it could also be said that Gethsemane is showing um, the communion. Yes, yeah, it is. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's, Guard of Eden is communion. Adam and Eve ate from the table of devils instead of from the table of God. Isn't that what you see in the garden? Yeah. That's what you see in the garden. The whole thing is, matter of fact, I'm going to tell you this. If you walk through the whole Bible, you should see communion. Just walk through the whole Bible, you should see communion. The whole Bible is a revelation of Christ. Anytime Christ is desiring to do a work, the whole Bible will light up according to that work he's trying to do. The whole Bible. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So you can walk through the whole Bible and you will see communion all throughout. Communion is just expressed under different figures and symbols. But it's still communion. Why is that? Because the midnight cry is all about communion. Amen? You find, it's the upper room. This is the experience. It's all about communion. So the whole Bible becomes a communion book. It's the communion service. This is the table that we're to eat from. And the cup we're to drink is that experience that we are passing through. As, as we're going on. Well, let us continue. I, I, I want to get down to a certain part in this. Um, this it, it, it's very important that we understand this, and, and by the grace of God, I'm under conviction that this, it has to be understood. These things must be understood and, and in order for us to, to, to correctly go forward with something that the Lord is trying to do. And I hope to get to that point to show us that the Lord is trying to do something. And Swinton has been touching on this. Organization is the most essential thing. It's the most essential thing, but if we don't understand how God organizes and how he orders and how he structures and how he teach, we can't come into organization. If we don't come into God's organization, it's life or death. It's life or death. God has a way in which he orders people, and we have to understand how he does it. And this is one of the things I'm trying to get to, get to in, in, in light of this. Let's go down. Let's walk through the Bible some more, life or death. Genesis 6, life or death. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God said unto Noah, the, the end of all flesh is come up before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and, and, and behold, I will what? Destroy them with the what? So what was Noah's message? Life or death. What did the Lord say? Make thee an ark. There's the life. There's the life. Make an ark. This is how you escape the destruction that's coming. 
So when Noah went out, what message did he have to bring? A life or death message. It was life or death how they treated Noah and his message. It was life or death. Let's continue with another one. Um, Mark, let's see. Let's go. How many witnesses do I need? Two or three. And we could walk through the whole Bible showing this, but I just want, I want, I just want us to get this. If you take this life or death and you just walk through the Bible, almost every single story, it was life or death to Abraham to come out of Ur. It was life or death to, to Lot to come out of Sodom. It was life or death for Moses in Egypt. It was life or death for Saul. It was life or death for David. It was life or death for Samuel. It was life or death for Jeremiah. It was life or death for Isaiah. Life or death for Daniel. Life, it was life or death for every single person. From the moment the gospel was introduced, it's based upon a life or death message. From the very beginning. Every time the gospels preach is life or death. Whenever you find a Messiah, you found the reasons to preach the gospel because you finally realize, man, this is life or death, how we treat the Messiah in which we found. Is everyone following? It's life or death, how we treat this. And right now, I don't hear life. But let us continue. Um, Mark 1. Now, after that John was put in prison, um, Jesus came unto Galilee preaching the gospel of the who? Kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the what? Why did they have to repent? Next verse. I said therefore unto you that ye shall what? Die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall what? If we don't believe we found the Messiah, what will happen to us? We will die in our sin. What is our sin? Our unbelief that we found the Messiah. We don't believe this. We shall die in our sin. It's life or death how we treat the message and the messenger. I'm saying that for a reason. Christ was a messenger with a message. Adam was a messenger with a message. Noah was a messenger with a message. Abraham was a messenger with a message. Lot was a messenger with a message. Moses was a messenger with a message. Jeremiah was a messenger with a message. John was a messenger with a message. So living waters are messengers with a message. Is everyone following? And how we treat it is life or death. How we treat the messenger and the message. How we treated Christ was a man and he was God. And we are to be man with God's divine nature. How we treat the messenger is how we will treat God in his divine nature. The same way. The same exact way. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Therein is the righteousness that we're to await to. There is. That's the righteousness we're, we're to wait to and sin not. Why? So that we don't die in our sins. So that we don't die in it. But let us continue. Life or death. Um, section 2. Now we want to deal with section 2, sent. So we just, all I did was bring three witnesses together. I think three powerful witnesses. I'm sure there's others to show that from the very beginning, the gospel was hanged on a life or death message. 
And it's all based upon how we treat that message when it has come. And that's where we are literally in our experience right now. When we go out there and we are witnessing to people, we have to bring to them the conviction that we have received ourselves. One of the signs of the Holy Spirit, he will convict you of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And is that not what he does? So those who receive that conviction will preach the same conviction. The same conviction of sin you receive, you're going to give it back. The same conviction of righteousness you receive, you're giving it back. The same conviction of judgment to come, the sword, the end, you're going to give it back. The same revelation of things to come, you're going to give it back. The same comfort of truth is given, you're going to give it back. The same bringing back to remembrance like we just did Adam and Eve and Noah and Christ, you're going to give it back. If we're not convinced that this is a life or death message, we can't convince anybody of anything. What's designed to move people is them coming to realization that this really is life or death. How we really treat this message and the messenger. And I'm saying that for a reason. And hopefully we'll get to it. So let's look at sent. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Who's this? Moses. What was given to Moses? What was his message? Let my people go, Let my people go or you'll what? You'll die. you lose your first one. And, and Moses says, Lord, what shall I tell them? Who sent me? What was his next message? I am. I am past, present, future. So Moses was convicted of sin, of righteousness, and what? Judgment to come. So Moses took that conviction, and he went to Egypt to go tell to the people. So there, we see one, that you must have a message. And that, in that message must be past present future conviction of sin righteousness and judgment the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob comfort him with the truth is that all of that was right there all the fruits of the spirit was right there in Moses encounter at the burning bush all of that was right there is that to be our experience yes, yes it is it's supposed to be our experience likewise well, how do we get that experience the Bible the spirit of prophecy and nature that's how we get that experience we should be having it in degree right now Right now, not tomorrow, right now, we should be having that experience. And if we're not having it, the Bible tells us the answer. If any man lack this wisdom, what is he to do? Ask God. God gives this spirit. God gives this experience to them that ask him. We have to ask him for it. Moses asked for it, so he got it. I don't need the story to tell me Moses asked for it because God's dealing with men is ever the same. You have not because you ask not. Moses longed to see Israel delivered, so the Lord gave him a message of deliverance. Do we long to see Seventh-day Adventists delivered? Or people in the world delivered? If we don't have that longing, we're not going to get a message of deliverance. But if we have that longing to be delivered ourselves and to deliver others, then the Lord will give you such a message. And I believe he's given us such a message. I believe with my heart he's given us such a message. And how I treat the message and the messenger, well, then who's the messenger? The Bible, the spirit of prophecy, and God's voice in nature. And also those around me. Is everyone following? The same conviction I receive, I have to give back. And how they treat it, that's up to them. Whether they hear or forbear, that's up to them. But I'm not to be ashamed of what the Lord is asking us to do. 
But let us continue with our thought. So Moses, he was given a message. Let's continue. Who else was given a message? And I knew him not, but he, but, but he that sent me to, to what? Baptize. So John was given a message. Let's look at Jesus. Jesus answered them and said, my what? My doctrine is not mine, but his that what? So everyone who's sent must have a what? A doctrine. In order to follow Christ, you need a doctrine of Christ in order to follow him. We found the Messiah. So what are we to do? What has the Lord given us then? The doctrine from heaven. That's what he's given us. The doctrine from heaven. And in that doctrine, just like John, we're to what? Baptize. Is everyone following? Michelle brought up a nice point with Adam and Eve. You know, I said, Lord, after the flood, you called Abraham because the people at the Tower of the Babel rebelled against the message of Noah. So I said, Lord, what was the sign that those were your people? The Lord says, I gave Abraham circumcision. So everyone who was circumcised, they were my children because they were baptized. They had the gospel message for their time. And the sign that they had it was circumcision. Well, who did they have to get it from? Abraham. If they didn't go to Abraham and allow Abraham to circumcise them, they were not my children. No matter how much they say they believe in me, they're not my children. Because I gave Abraham the covenant message. And if anyone wants to understand that covenant message, they need to seek out Abraham and his children. Because he had the covenant message. And then, and then the Lord says, walk down through history. And you come to Moses. And what did the Lord do? Did he take away circumcision? No. What did he add to the covenant message? The sanctuary. the sanctuary. So if anyone wants to understand the plan of salvation, where did they have to go? Israel to Moses and all, and all the um, priests. They had to go to Moses and the priests if they wanted to understand the covenant message for the time. Amen. And then you walk down through his... Go ahead. No, I, um, and at that time, they must have both of them too. Praise God. Yeah. Circumcision and that. Yeah, Thank it doesn't go away. Yeah. The Lord just adds to it. So now you walk he down through time. Yeah. Praise God. And you come to John. What do people need? Baptism. And what? The sanctuary. But what's the sanctuary now going to be? Heaven. Heaven. You had to see the what? Very important. Very important. So the Lord gave them a So then I said, Lord, then what was Adam and Eve's sign that they were your children? And where was the sanctuary? You know what the Lord says? It's what Michelle said earlier. They lost, they lost the glory when they sinned. So what did God give them back? The glory. Where was it found? In the garment he made for them. All the sons of God had to wear the same clothes Adam and Eve wore. That's how you knew who was the son of God. That's how you knew who was the son of God. They all dressed the same. The garment Christ gave them was the righteousness of God. Adam and Eve didn't sew it. Christ made it. The Bible says God made them coats of skin. And I said, Lord, praise God. There was a, that's how you knew who was the son of God. And after the flood, the circumcision is how you knew who was the son of God. And the baptism is how you know who's the son of God. And you just walk down through time. The sign doesn't change. The, 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 the meaning the Lord may give it for the next generation, that may be different, but the symbol is it's the same. So then what's... Our sign. Yes, but he needs to add something. He needs to add something. Every generation had something added. Amen. Praise God. Every generation. Well, what was our sign? I'll give you a head start. 
We read her right in every day. But it doesn't stop there. It, it, it doesn't stop there either. It doesn't stop there either. We must have one too for our time. Is everyone following? We must, we have a message. And our message is life or death. How they treat the message and the messenger. It's life or death. Every generation had a message. And every generation had a sign to mark that message for that time. Miller's rules for Miller's time. But we are to receive that rule. Because in receiving that rule, we'll get the rule for our time. In receiving baptism, we'll get the baptism for our time. In receiving circumcision, we'll get circumcision for our time. Is everyone following? There's something for our time. Many generations. And something must crown. And something must crown that foundation of many generations for our time. Amen? All right, so let's continue. Let's go back into our notes. Um, John 7. Thank you. Um, um, John 17, sorry. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also what? Sent them into the world. Based on what commission? Daniel 9. Daniel 9 is the commission license. That's the license that you can go into the world and preach about the Messiah. And do what? And do what? And teaching. Teaching what? Daniel 8.14. Amen. But that's just one part of that message. That's just one. There's another part. And we have to have both. That's just the reason why I believe the Lord took us back to that. We never understood this part. There's another part. Daniel 8.14, where is that found? Where is it found? I, 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 I don't know any other way to ask it because I'll give it away. Where is Daniel 8.14 found? Man. It can't be the Bible if I'm, I'm saying that. 8.14. Uh, the little book. The little book, right? That's Millerite's history. That's their history. Are we to receive it? Yes, yes the same ever. That little book brought them to the open of the judgment. Well, what do we need? No, 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 no. This brings us to the open of the judgment. We need something that brings us to the close of the judgment. The seven thunders. Amen. 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 But once you come there, you need something else. Amen. Daniel 11, 40 to 45 is a second piece to that. If we don't have both, we're not the Lord's messenger. We're just not his messenger. We're not his messenger. And it's life or death. <coughs> Amen. Let's go down. Keys. And this is where we go into next. Keys now. Messengers, right? It says, an angel, this is from early writings. I love this quote. An angel said, are all messengers Another angel answered, what? No, no. no. God's messengers have a what? Messenger. We must remember this till the day we die. God's messengers have a message. And it's based upon the same principles as God gave in the beginning. The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
It's life or death, that message. Life or death, that message. And then the gospel given in Genesis 3.15 is built up on that same platform. The second probation has the same conditions. Keep the commandments and live, break the commandments and die. And then you walk down to Noah, life or death message, and you just walk down through the Bible, and you'll see every single, every child of Adam had to put on the same coat of skin that Adam and Eve put on in order to be constituted a son of God. After the flood, because the sons of God broke that covenant, God rose up Abraham and he gave him a sign. And the sign was circumcision. So everyone who wanted to be a son of God needed that sign in order to be a part of the family of God. And then you just walk down to the Bible, same thing. You come down to the end of the world, in order to be a Seventh-day Adventist, you have to have the little book. That's our sign. You must have the little book. But you come down to 1989, you must hold the coats of skin, you must hold circumcision, you must hold baptism, you must hold the sanctuary, you must hold a little book, but now adds what? The seven thunders. Now he adds the seven thunders. What is the seven thunders? This is the last call to the gospel feast. This is the closing work of the kingdom of grace that has been instituted since the Garden of Eden. We are the closing generation. Huh? Seven minutes. Okay, thank you. Going down. Um, Daniel, the key. This next one. I want to, I'm going to come around there and pick back up in the next one. And he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. As I said earlier, Daniel 9.24 gives us the key to open up Daniel 8.14. This is what Rashad and Romero have been going over. We, Daniel 8.14 is opened up by the key of understanding of Daniel 9.24. Is everyone following? That's what's in the little book. So you go down, you need another key. Um, and this is Daniel, Daniel 11. Um, but I want to read this quote. Is it a quote? Yeah, it says, um, I just want the bowl. Where it says, it says, he, he exalted Christ, the proper, under, the proper understanding of, of whose ministry is the key that unlocks the Old Testament scriptures. Given, given access to, to their rich treasure. So the proper understanding of Christ's ministry is what opens the Old Testament scriptures. Where's, where's Christ's ministry highlighted? Daniel 8, 14. The entire 2300 days is Christ's ministry. When he was going to become a Messiah, when he was to be baptized, when he was to die, when he was to go from the Jews to the Gentile, and when he was to go into the most holy place. This is the faith of Jesus. That. The 2300 days is the faith of Jesus. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, which is the ministry of Jesus. And a proper understanding of this ministry opens up the Old Testament. Then what closes the Old Testament? Because it has to close. The gospel has to close. Is everyone following? The gospel must close. There's a day when the gospel of grace closes because the work it was designed to do is finished. Sins are blotted out. Sin's going on a scapegoat. So when does it close? Let's, let's go down to this next verse, Daniel 11. And at the time of the end, Michael shall stand up. There's his close, right there. You need a key to go into the sanctuary, and you need a key to come out the sanctuary. Daniel 9 is the key to go in. Daniel 11 is the key to come out. It's not an accident that this took place on 9-11. It's not an accident. Not an accident. The two keys, these two keys, one takes you into the judgment and one takes you to the time when Michael shall stand up. 
That couldn't be opened up until 1989. That was our sign that this is the closing work of the everlasting gospel time period. This time. This time. And if we're not baptized under the influence of this message, we're not God's messenger. You may have been baptized under the influence of the little book. That's good. But to be the Lord's messenger at the end of the world, you need to be baptized under the teaching of the seven thunders. Is everyone following? So what does that mean? Every single Seventh-day Adventist have to be rebaptized. Every one of them. Accept the new sign. Because if everyone has to be baptized into the world, then Adventist is in the world. They too must be baptized. To do what? As a sign that they've received the message for their time. Is everyone following? This is why baptism now becomes life or death. How do I know it's life or death? Because Christ himself got baptized. He paved the way. And if we don't follow in his footsteps, it's certain death. Because to follow in Christ's footsteps is to eat from the tree of life. To not do what Christ did is to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Putting your way above his way. Putting your thought above his thought. That's what it means to eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil in one sense. Not to follow Christ's example. To follow Christ's example is to eat from the tree of life. And if he got baptized and we didn't get baptized, we're eating from Satan's tree and not Christ's tree. Satan is the antichrist. Christ is the Christ. Is everyone following? That's why baptism is life or death. And that's why the Lord's been having us preach it. You know why? Because some of us haven't been baptized. So you know what that means? You can't receive the light of Revelation 18 because that light comes to those who've been baptized. Christ says, except a man be born again, he shall not what? See Revelation 18. He shall not enter into the experience of Revelation 18. Is everyone, this is our time. This is what John came preaching in his time. We are the John in our time. He called people to repentance. We call people to repentance. He called people to baptize. We call people to baptize. Noah called people to baptize. We call people to baptize. Noah said, get in the ark. That's baptism. Abraham says, get circumcised. That's baptism. Moses says, come out of Egypt. That's baptism. We say, you better understand the message of the seven thunders. That's baptism. Is everyone following? That's why everyone, seven-day Adventists, have to be baptized again. I know I have a few minutes, but I want to come down to this next one. In 1833, um, next section, I want to stop around here. License to preach. Next section, Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath what? He hath what? To do what? So in order to preach, what do you need? What is the anointing then? Which what? Which is also a message. It's also a message. Christ was anointed to preach. Anyone who stands in this pulpit, what must they be? Anointed and baptized to preach. Anyone who stands in this pulpit. Amen. That's why we did the baptism. Very plain. Right? Very plain. It's, we have to teach this. It's life or death. Whether they hear or forbear, we have to teach it. But it's even amongst us. And my brothers and sisters, the Lord is urging us, and I believe he's hanging around this point because some of us have not made that decision to be baptized. 
And, and you have to start considering this because your life literally depends on it. Is, is that my words? No. That's what the Bible says. Christ says, except a man be born again, he shall not. What does that mean? You shall surely die. To die means no communication from God. To live means communication from God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that what? So we live by the words that proceeds out of God's mouth. We die by not hearing the words that proceeds out of God's mouth. But Jesus says to hear the words that proceeds out of God's mouth, you must be born again. You must be baptized in order to keep hearing the words that proceeds out of the mouth. What's his mouth? The Bible and the spirit of prophecy and his living messengers. We must be born again. Some of us have not made that decision. And you know why I believe the Lord is stressing that? Because of the work he's asking us to do. If we don't baptize our house, we're fulfilling the process like Moses when he was going to New York and he didn't baptize his house. The angel of death came at the civil Sunday law to kill him for failing to baptize his own house. And if living waters is our house, then the children of living waters must be what? Circumcised. Egypt is New York. That's why the Lord would be asking us to what? Baptize. We are fulfilling Bible prophecy, and we must recognize that. When we awake, that's when we start recognizing those things. That Moses, John, Elijah, Ezekiel is all us at this present day and age. Amen? That's what, this is communion with God, to see the present truth fulfilled in your time. That's real living communion. Amen? That's what the Lord wants us to have. Let us continue. License. I'm closing out on this part. I know I'm, I'm over, but I want to close out on this section for the next section. License to preach. And he anointed him to preach. And go down. It says, um, he anointed me to preach the gospel to the, to the poor. He hath what? Sent me to heal the brokenhearted. What are we going to do to preach the gospel to the poor? He's sending us to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounds, to preach the message of deliverance. You can't preach what you haven't tasted. Amen? You can't preach baptism if you weren't baptized. In order to preach Daniel 8.14, you have to preach baptism. But you can't preach what you have not lived yourself. You can't preach a message of deliverance if you didn't take the first steps to deliverance that Christ took. If you didn't take it, how can you give it? If you don't have it, what are you giving? What experience are you going to give to people if you don't have that very experience? It's life or death how we treat the message and the message. Next one. In 1833, Miller received a license to what? Why could Miller now preach? He understood Daniel 8.14. So now he got his license to preach that message. But how long ago did God ask him to preach it? A lot. Nine years Ellen White says for nine years, Miller wrestled with the thought whether he should go. Who's Miller fulfilling? Yeah, yes, amen. Moses. Did Moses wrestle with God to go preach? So what was Miller fulfilling? That. But now, like Swinney said, who's he fulfilling? Why haven't we gone? We're having the same fight. We're having the same fight Moses and Miller have. Literally the same fight. We're wrestling with doubt. We're wrestling with fears. 
We're wrestling with, with, it may not be the same thing, but the principle is the same. The Lord says, go, and Lord, but, but money, but, but, but job, but, but, but this, but what? I said, go, and all these things will be added on to you. If you don't go, how can you see the things added on to you? I can't add if you don't add. You add, I add. When you add, not only will I add, I'll multiply. You want to see my multiplication? What is that multiplication? You want to see more evidences of my existence? Go. The moment you go, you're going to see many evidences that God is. But if you stay where you are, you shall surely die. How do I know that? Because at the Red Sea, if they stood where they were, what would happen to them? They shall surely die. But if they went forward, what would they see? God multiplied his evidence to them. He opened up the Red Sea. He added onto them. Amen? But they had to be baptized. Is that not what the Bible says? They were baptized onto Moses. But going on, section, next, um, and right here. So this part, I wanted to reach it. Lord willing, in the next presentation, we'll, we'll pick up from there. But the whole point of this was to just bring out in this portion that it's life or death. To find the Messiah is to come to the understanding and the realization that the message in which the Lord's access to bear is a life or death message. And you can walk through the Bible. It's always been a life or death message. And, this, and the Bible says when we see this word, to wake to righteousness and sin not. But there's requirements that God is asking us to meet when he reveals these things to us. And one of those requirements is baptism. Not only being literally baptized, but being baptized with a specific teaching. And Ellen White says we're to baptize the East with the first, the second, and third angel's message. So I know I'm hard, I may be saying literal baptism, but I'm also highlighting that there's a specific message we must teach. And that message to the Millerites was the little book. The message in the little book, which was the first and the second angel's message. We have to understand that message, and we must take to them the message of the seven thunders, which is an illustration of the closing work. Literally. Everything that happened from 1989 down to where we are today is only a living illustration of how God's going to close up the work. The man of sin is going to come between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, 1989. They're going to make a death decree, 1996. The plagues are going to fall as soon as they do, 9-11. Is everyone following? That's the seven thunders right there. And you just walk down. And when they do that, financial crisis. And after financial crisis, so, um, what you, uh, French Revolution, 2014. Who came up in 2014 that we taught? BLM, ISIS. ISIS. What else? The gay movement. All of this is the spirit of the French Revolution. Is everyone following? It's spirit of atheism. And as you walk down through the line, there's going to be war for our politics, 2016. And as you walk down through the line, there's going to be pestilence and COVID and all of these things. All of that is summed up in one thing, close of probation and Sunday law. All of that. And that's the evidence. That's the natural evidence to the spiritual evidence in the seven thunders. The seven thunders is lined up with the events that are taking place. And that's how we know the message in which we have is the message of the hour. So we have to take the message in a little book. And we have to take the message for our day. And this is our license that God has given us to preach. And now he connects Daniel 9, 24. And what does he say? Baptize people under the influence of this message. Those who get baptized under this influence, God will give them power to become sons of God in their time.
Amen? That's where we are in, in our experience. So I, I just pray that we will take time to, to understand this. In our next session, we'll pick back up this, this other thought, which is just as important as the other part, and that's the part dealing with the messenger and the message. Let us close out this session. With Heavenly word. Father, I want to thank you, O Lord, for your word that's able to make us wise unto salvation. And Lord, I, I pray and ask, O Lord, that wherever I fail you, O Lord, in not, in not delivering the message in the proper way, that you, I pray that you please forgive me. And that um, I pray that my imperfections and my failures will not hinder th that which you desire people to understand, um, not to be received. But may you help them, may you help them to understand it as you help me to understand it, O oh Lord. But I pray far more that they will go and see and see for themselves whether these things be so. For this, this is what we're to do: to call people to behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's a sin that needs to be taken away at the end of the world in order to receive the message of Revelation 18. And the work of the first and the second and the seven thunders is the very message that takes away an error that will prepare us to receive the light of Revelation 18. And if we don't receive that, O oh Lord, we would, we'll die in our sins. And Lord, we don't want to die in our sins. So we pray and ask that you please help us to remedy these defects in our characters and that we would do all that we can to, 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 to develop a character fitted to receive the revelation of Revelation 18. It comes to a people who have their minds prepared to receive such light. And I pray and ask, O oh Lord, that you help us to find ourselves in the proper place to receive that light that is very soon to, to, to come to this world. And you're given so much evidence, O oh Lord, that is about to come. You're given the very peace, the very cornerstone that brings that message. And I pray and ask, O oh Lord, that you really would help us to wake up and to see this, O oh Lord, before that message arrives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.